Amen. Lord, that's our heart this morning, that we would meditate on your Son. Lord, that our focus, our passion, our eyes, everything about us, Lord, would be turned unto him. And Lord, I pray as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, we are so desperate to know you better. To know you better is to love you more. And Lord, we get to know you better as we spend time in your word and we seek your face. So Lord, again, be glorified in all that happens here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. All right, Calvary Chapel light this morning, Amen. It's all good, amen. You're here, we're here, the Lord's here. That's what matters, amen. And we won't mock the people that get here at 11 too much. We really won't. All right. Hey, I will say this. Um, you know, I'm not a, a big, if you've been coming to church here long, I'm not a big one for having a lot of like Christian bands kind of thing. I'm just not, because a lot of times they're just, they're gigging and I don't like that. And what I love about these guys is a couple years ago, my daughter and my son-in-law, Kevin and Ash, went down to Worldview Weekend with a bunch of the youth, and they brought back the CD, and they said, they said you know, my daughter, Dad, you got to get these, it's awesome. And so I put it in my CD player two years ago in the office, and it's been in there ever since. And every Saturday night when I'm studying all night, I'm just listening to their worship music in the background. It just always has blessed me. And what I appreciate about these guys isn't, you know, the music that they play, certainly, but the heart that they have to serve and to worship. So I'm just blessed that they're here and God really used them this weekend. And so praise the Lord for these guys. Keep them in your prayers. Amen. And I know that CD's in the back so you can listen to it all night just like I do if you want to. All right. All right. Well, you're going to get a taste of the, we were there till late last night, very late last night. And some of the guys are still there this morning because it actually doesn't end until this morning. My dad's there doing a devotional time. And so we have a lot of the guys still up there. But, uh, we looked at the book of Philippians, and so we're going to give you a little taste of that. I taught on Friday night, the first chapter, and I, you know it's so appropriate for the times and the days that we're living in right now, and so we're going to look at that this morning. So turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. You guys seem a little more sleepy than normal. What's up? Huh? I'm going to get my youth pastor mode in a minute. You don't want that. Start getting after people, all right? All right, well, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked the guys the other night, and be honest. How many of you are going through a tough time right now? Raise your hand. Wow. That's most of the church, amen? And you know what? We've got the economy, we've got health issues, we've got rebellious children, we've got struggles in marriages, we've got all these things that are going on all around us, and boy, wouldn't it be great to get a letter written about how to have joy in the midst of all that kind of stuff? Wouldn't it be great if God actually wrote us a letter to tell us how to have joy in the midst of all of that? Guess what he did? It's the entire Bible, but certainly the book of Philippians is referred to as the epistle of joy. The reason that it is, the word joy is used by the Apostle Paul 19 times in this short letter. And it would seem like it would make perfect sense that it was a letter written about joy because it was written in response to a gift that was brought to the Apostle Paul from the church in Philippi through the hands of a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And when Epaphroditus came to Paul, he brought him a gift from the church and he's writing this letter back filled with joy. And you might say, well, that makes total sense. If somebody sent me a gift, I might send them a thank you note filled with joy. But guess what? You got to understand the context because the context is this. Paul was sitting in prison. Paul had been in prison for four years and during his time in prison, he was awaiting a moment when he would go before Caesar Nero, and he was, it was likely, or certainly possible anyway, that he was going to lose his life. Because in those days, they didn't put you in prison and just leave you there for a set amount of time to pay for a crime. The really only sentence you could get was death. And so he was waiting to go before Nero. His life could be lost. And to add to that, his time in Philippi, a lot of it wasn't so good. He was getting a letter from a group of people because when he went to Philippi, if you remember the story, he comes on the Macedonian call, he shows up, and when he gets there, there are so few believers in the city that there's, no, there's not enough men to really have a synagogue or a group of people to, that are meeting together. So he meets some women by the, as they're down washing their clothes, and he begins to minister to them, and God starts to do a work, but then persecution comes. If you remember the story, he was thrown into jail, jail in Philippi. 
Paul and Silas together. And if you remember, they were chained up in jail, and then God brought a great earthquake to get them out. So his time in Philippi was time of beatings and persecution, and now he's sitting in prison, riding back to a place where he had been beaten and persecuted, and a letter of joy in those circumstances is a big deal. Amen? Because instead he could have wrote, yeah, you sent me a gift, but you know, how about those beatings I got while I was there last time? Or you know what? I'm in prison and you know, a gift is nice, but how about a lawyer? How about a hacksaw? How about raiding this place and getting me out of here? That's the fleshly response. But the reason that Paul could have such incredible joy is he had the proper perspective. He had an eternal perspective. He knew where he was headed. He wasn't going to be overwhelmed by his circumstances or by the trials of life, but he was praising God even in the midst of them because he knew that God was in control. Guys, we're sitting here this morning. Most of you raised your hand. Whatever you're going through, God is in control. God knew that Paul was in prison and he knows every detail of what you're going through. Paul could have joy in prison because he trusted in the sovereignty of God. He knew he was there for a reason and he was praising God in the midst of it. Where you are, God has allowed you to be that you might grow spiritually and that he might be glorified. Amen? And guys, what's more important is not our physical comfort but our spiritual growth. And so as we go through the text this morning, and we're going to cover a lot of verses, we're going to look at two main, two, two main things. First, we're going to see two of the keys to having joy in the Christian walk. First, we're going to see the joy of fellowship. The joy of fellowship. One of the things the enemy wants to do more than anything is isolate Christians. If you can be moved away and off by yourself somewhere, you're going to be rendered pretty ineffective for the kingdom of God. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to be in a pity party and mad at God because of your circumstances and for you to just be out of fellowship completely. Can I encourage you that as I was preparing this and studying this and teaching this, God's putting it on my heart again to go back through our old directories and call people on the phone to just say, how are you doing? Because sometimes those people have left And if they're in another church, that's wonderful. If they're in fellowship, that's great. If they moved away, that's fine. But I'm concerned for those who, because of circumstances or because of a misunderstanding or whatever it might be, have just walked out of fellowship. And we see here in the first half of this chapter the joy of fellowship. Guys, I don't know about you, and you know it's true about me. I'm excited on Sunday. How about you? I look forward to being here. You guys are my family. You've heard me say it many times. It's a family reunion. And guys, I want to say this. The joy of fellowship means more than that we sit in the same church together for an hour and a half on Sunday. Amen? And it's more than just sharing a meal. A lot of times that's what we call fellowship, right? We had some tri-tip. Fellowshipping. Right? You know what I mean? What did you do last night? Yeah, we were just fellowshipping. Had some food. Right? But fellowship means to have in common. And to have in common, well, we have in common more than the food that we eat or the, even the church that we worship in or the gym that we show up together on Sundays. What we have in common is Jesus Christ. What we have in common is a future in heaven. What we have in common is a like-minded heart. What we have in common is the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of us. Guys, there's a joy in that fellowship. And you've heard me share before, I've met people in line at Disneyland that I'm closer to at the end of a 15-minute time together than people I've known my whole life who don't know God. When you meet someone, then when you have Jesus in common, isn't there an immediate connection? Don't you just go, oh, amen, you're a Christian, praise God. I mean, it just, everything changes. And he's writing to encourage them about the joy that comes from fellowship. But not only that, he's going to talk to them about the joy that comes in our circumstances. If the enemy can't isolate you, he's going to try to overwhelm you. He hopes you're going to walk around feeling defeated and distracted and spiritually ineffective. And you know what? He wants us to respond carnally to our circumstances so that we won't have joy, we'll blow our testimonies, and we'll be unable to minister to the people around us. So how in the world can we have joy in the midst of all of this? How in the world, would? and again, I don't know your circumstances completely, 
I know some of what some of you are going through, but we're going to look at the joy, how to have joy in our circumstances by learning to trust in the sovereignty of God, by living in light of eternity, having an eternal focus, and then by putting our faith into action. So let's begin. Looking at the joy, first the joy of fellowship. And I just love, you know, when you get a letter from somebody who really loves you, it's very evident. And I love the way that we see the love Paul has for these people who are living in a city where he had been beaten, in a city where he had been persecuted, in a city where he had been thrown into jail. But to him, he didn't remember any of the trials. What he remembered was the fruit. He didn't remember the difficulty in Philippi. He remembers that people have gotten saved. People are on fire for God. The church is there. And he's writing this letter back to them from that heart. And you know, as I'm sharing this, you know what God has been putting on my heart? Well, God spoke to me at the retreat. We broke into prayer groups and each guy shared, what did God speak to you? And this is the thing that God really put on my heart. That when I get to heaven, I'm not going to remember one second of one trial, but what's going to be significant is the fruit that was produced from it. So Lord, help me have that perspective right now. Amen? Not to sit around and murmur and complain and be overwhelmed by the trials of life, but to remember this is passing, this is temporary, but what's going to be eternal is the fruit it produces, so bring it on. Amen? All right, well, let's begin in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. If you've been coming any length of time, we've talked about that term, bondservant. The word is doulos in Greek. And what it means is a slave by choice. Somebody who has actually paid the debt they owe, they're able to go free, but instead they say, you know what, even though I'm able to go free, I love my master, and I want to stay voluntarily. And so they become a slave by choice for a lifetime. Boy, that's different than someone trying to pay off a debt. It's someone who says, you know what, because I love my master, there's nowhere else I would rather be. So Paul says to them, I'm a bondservant. We're bond servants. We're servants of Jesus Christ. Guys, there's no one else worthy to be served. Amen? He alone do we serve and praise and honor. But I love that he starts this letter and we see humility in the Apostle Paul. If anybody could have been arrogant, it would have been Paul. But you know what? He doesn't say Paul, the great missionary. Paul, the phenomenal world-renowned evangelist. Paul, the guy who started your church and was beaten because you guys didn't step up. You know what he says? Paul, the bondservant of Jesus Christ. It sickens me sometimes. I go places and they'll do introductions even for, you know, for pastors. And man, they'll go on and on about all the accomplishments. It's nauseating. You know why? Because we've accomplished nothing apart from Jesus Christ. He gets all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. And here's Paul's heart. He's writing to them. They've sent him a gift. And he says, hey, I'm just a servant. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to have that same heart. Servants of Jesus, not by choice, but out of love. And who did he write the letter to? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. You've heard me say it before. If you're new, you're going to hear it. You know, here it comes again. Guys, As a youth pastor, I used to say, you're either a saint or an ain't. Amen? You're either born again or you're not. You either know Jesus Christ or you don't. Saints are not dead people who they go back and legitimize some miracle that they've performed who's voted on by the Catholic Church and they build a statue to them and start praying to them. That's not a saint. And we don't do that. Amen? You know who the saints are? Christians. And that we are the sanctified ones, being set apart unto the Lord. So this letter is written to believers. And keep that in mind as he's writing it. He's written it to those who are born again. It says, with the bishops and the deacons. Bishops, deacons. Bishops are the same word for elder and pastor. They're all interchangeable in the Bible. The word here is episkopos. And a bishop just means he's the one who oversees the people. Bishop describes what he does. He's an overseer. Elder describes who he is. He's a spiritually mature man. And pastor describes what he does. He shepherds the sheep. So this letter is written not just to the people in general, but to those in leadership and the deacons. Deacons are those who serve. Diakonos. 
means servant, those who wait on tables, those who minister to the practical needs of the body. So the letter's written to all the saints, the bishops, the deacons alike, so everybody in the body. This is a message for those who serve, for those who lead, for all who are saved. That's what he's telling us so far. And then he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about this so many times, grace and peace, kind of the Siamese twins in Scripture, and they're always in that order because without grace we cannot have peace, amen? And it's the grace of God poured out upon us that allows us to have the peace of God or peace with God, to be able to walk with Him. And so His greeting is one of grace, the word there in Greek is keros, and peace is actually a Hebrew word, shalom. So He's speaking that we have grace and peace, and all of it only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, Lord Jesus Christ is not his first, middle, and last name. Amen? People who swear act like it sometimes, don't they? But Lord is his title. We're his servants. He's Lord of all. Jesus is his name. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. And Christ is why he came to save us from our sins. So, you see the joy and even how he begins to greet them. You see the heart from which this is written. And this ought to be our heart when we see each other, when we greet each other. Grace and peace, amen? Good to be reminded of where we're headed. Good to be reminded in the midst of trials that we have God's grace poured out upon us and we have the peace of God in the midst of the storm. But notice that he says not only how he begins to greet them, but notice the agape love and how he thinks about him of them, how we should think about each other. Here's the example of how we ought to think about each other that we learn from the Apostle Paul. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Again, Paul had been beaten there, arrested there, yet his thoughts of the people brought him great joy. Because as I said before, he remembers the fruit, not the trials. When I think of you, I don't think about being in jail. When I think of you, I don't think about the difficulties. When I think of you, I think about the fact that you've come to know Jesus Christ, that you're walking with Him, that you're going to heaven. What's better than that? You know, Lord, help us to remember each other and not remember the shortcomings of each other, but to remember what God has done in each of our lives and how blessed we are to see that person walking with God. Amen? As opposed to going, oh yeah, I remember him five years ago. Didn't hug me at church. I'm not getting, I haven't gotten over that yet. Right? And sometimes we walk around and we're bitter and we carry this stuff with us. That should not be so in the body of Christ. May we remember each other with joy. Amen? Be praying for each other. Be on each other's hearts and minds. You know, the greatest joy of a parent is knowing that their children walk in the truth. The greatest joy of Paul, this pastor, is knowing that his people are walking in the truth. And I can tell you, you know, you know me, I'm pretty transparent. I will go through the directory sometimes and just weep. I'm not kidding you. I will be praying for you guys, and, I'll, and I'll, God will just bring to mind, you know, when I met that person, and look what God's done. And this person, when they came, they weren't even saved. Look what God's done. When this person came, they've been married, had children, God's blessing. Look what God's doing in their lives. And I go through it, and I'm just undone, and I'm overwhelmed by the fruit of what God has done here. Amen? And we can murmur, we can think about the bad things, the trials. Guys, God's good. We're in one of the most godless places on the planet. But you know what? Our God is greater still. Amen? And we're here for a reason, to be salt and light. And it's such a joy to look and recognize what God has done. Thank the Lord for what God is doing in the lives of those around us. It says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. Paul, for Paul to pray for his brothers and sisters in Philippi was not a drudgery, it wasn't a bummer, it was a joy. Guys, if prayer is a drudgery, we need to get right with God. Amen? If Almighty God showed up here this morning, and was, he's omnipresent, so the, the analogy falls apart all over the place, but just work with me, alright? If he was standing over here in the corner... And you were going to have a private audience with him. And you could go up and just look him in the face and share your heart with him. How many of us would be looking at our watch ready to go home? 
you know, you know, I got to go home and watch the Niners lose again or whatever, right? No way. Why? Because we would be so excited. We'd be like, we'd be, oh, are you kidding me? If the line was six months long, we'd wait. But guys, here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil has been torn and we can enter into the Holy of Holies anywhere and any time. And that's what prayer is. Amen? And for Paul, who's sitting in prison, he's not murmuring and nobody comes to see me. Nobody got me out yet. It's not fair. I'm in here for obeying God. Instead, he's like, prayer time. I got some time on my, let's seek the Lord. And when he prays for the people in Philippi, there's a joy that's in it, that is in his heart. You know what I have found? As you've heard me say before, prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. It's hard for me to be mad at anybody that I pray for. Amen? It's hard for me to be bitter toward anybody that I pray for. As I begin to pray, my heart begins to melt for that person. I become more burdened for that person. I can't wait to see that person. And you know what? Paul is praying for them and for him. It's not a bummer. It's not drudgery. It's not work. It's a joy. Lord, give us that same heart, that same joy in fellowship. One of the greatest joys of fellowship is that common bond that not only can we pray for others, but doesn't it bless you to know that others are praying for you? Doesn't that encourage you? You're going through a trial and to know people are praying. The best thing we can do for each other is pray for each other. Amen? May we pray more. Verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thanking God for their fellowship in the gospel. It's a joy to pray. And what do they have in common? The gospel. Guys, what we have in common is Jesus Christ. The word fellowship there means koinonia. And we have a common goal, a common passion, a common savior, a common future, but we have a common calling in that we are all called to be evangelists to a certain... Now, we're not all given the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. We're all called to go out and share our faith with a lost and dying world. You're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see, Amen. You're, God, you know, you've heard me use this analogy. You know, they don't take all the lights in Santa Cruz and put them on one street corner. It'd be really light there and everywhere else would be dark. You know, the electric company spreads the light out all over the city. Why? So that there'd be illumination everywhere. You might wonder why you're the only Christian in your office or in your neighborhood or maybe even in your family. You know why? Because the lights need to be spread out all over the city. Amen. And that's your, that's where you get to illuminate where maybe nobody else is. And he prays and he says, there's just joy and I pray for you the common, that we, the commonality that we have in the gospel. Paul was a man who was single-minded. I can't believe I messed this up at the retreat, but I did. He was a fanatic. Amen? Fanatic is... You can't change his mind and he won't change the subject, amen? And that's what he was. Paul had a one-track mind. He wanted to see people saved. It didn't matter if it resulted in beatings, lost jobs, lost friendships. He didn't care. Why? Because he knew that heaven was what mattered. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that matters. Guys, we don't share our faith more because we get too concerned about our comfort, about our popularity with men. Paul had thrown that aside and he was excited because guys, as I share my faith, so do you. And we have a burden to bring the good news. That's what the gospel is to a lost and a dying world. You know what? If you turn on the radio right now, it's pretty much nothing but bad news. Amen? 5,000 more people laid off. 10,000 more people. The economy, uh, stock market's crashing. Uh, Does the world need some good news? And guess who's got it? We do. Amen? Not just good news, the best news. And the best news is that Jesus died and he said, hey, and rose from the dead and he's coming back. He says, that's what we've got in common. We have the fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They had a common passion to see others saved. And it says this in verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, here's a verse that many of you claimed as your life's verse or a verse that most of us have memorized and it says he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of jesus christ can anybody say amen to that 
Here's the good news. He started the work, and the, you can rest assured, if he has started, he's going to finish. Amen? We quit stuff all the time. Amen? I've got 200 books I've read a little bit of. And about five I've finished. That's the truth. You know, you start reading a book, and uh, get another one. Start projects. Wives, don't elbow your husbands. Start projects and don't finish them. But aren't you glad that that's not our God? And the good news is, if he's begun the work, he's going to finish the work. He's faithful that way. Amen? Now, if he hasn't begun the work, that's only because you haven't been saved. But you can fix that this morning. But guys, as he's begun the work, in context, he's speaking to the church in Philippi. He who began the work in Philippi is going to finish the work. And he who began the work in you is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's when Jesus Christ comes back. So God won't stop working on you until you're in his presence. Isn't that good? It's really good until you start to think, but sometimes working on me means trials. Right? Well, no, yeah, not so much. Work on me by just pouring stuff on me. That'd be good. Don't, don't let me go into anything tough. But God is a God who loves us enough that if the trial is going to make us more like Him, then He's going to bring us through it. He's beginning a work. He's going to be faithful to complete it. Don't you want to be more in love with Jesus next week than you are right now? Don't you want to be closer to Him next year than you are right now? God, help us that you keep doing that work in my life and in my heart. A good work, the work He did for us, redemption. The work He does in us, sanctification. And the work that He does through us is service. So, the joy of fellowship. How we think about each other. I have you on my mind. Second of all, I have you in my heart. How we feel about each other. Look what He says. Verse 7, just that it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. Paul was not only a man of great intellect, but a man with a giant heart. Philippian believers in his heart because they stood with him in his time of persecution and need. Godly fellowship comforts those in chains, strengthens those under attack, partners with those who proclaim the gospel. You know, Christians ought to have big hearts. Amen? Christianity is not a self-righteous, aloof, separated attitude. We ought to be the most loving, gracious, and compassionate people on the planet because that's who our Savior is. Amen? And we're to be following Him and representing Him. And here you see Paul's heart about the joy of fellowship as he writes to them and says, Boy, I have you in my heart. We've got Jesus in common. We've defended the gospel together. And we have confirmed it together. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He longed to be with them with a godly affection. Though Paul was the most traveled of all the apostles, he made a good, loving relationship with each of them. He loved them. He longed to be with them. Like I mentioned the other day, I'm on this thing, Facebook. I'm on Facebook. It's actually, I actually kind of liking it. I, I resist it. I have to, I'm not a techie. You all know that. Computer goes, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, reboot, what does that mean? I don't get it, right? But here's the point. I went on there because, you know, my son's in Hawaii. I've got people in different places. And it's great to be able to, con to talk to them and see them. And as soon as I went on, all of a sudden, I've got all these hundreds and hundreds of friends. And there are people I haven't seen in 20 years. And I have to confess to you, just talking to them for a moment. There's a longing and an affection and a desire to really reconnect. Why? Because we got the Lord in common. There's a girl from my youth group that was in my youth group when she was 13, who's 34 now. What ha did that happen? And, you know, and I'm talking to them, and it's such a blessing. And you know, they encourage me about their time in youth group, and I'm able to, what a joy that is. And here's Paul, he's got this, you know, I just long for you. I, I would so love to be with you. We all have people that we miss, and you know that heart that you have 
You can't wait to see him. You count the days. Oh, going to see him again in a few months. This is Paul's heart. The heart he's writing from. This ought to be the heart of the church. Amen? Looking forward, longing for each other, to minister to each other. One of the things I love about the men's retreat, I get to see a bunch of the pastors I was on staff with in San Jose, and it's like a big reunion every time. Spent hours just going around hugging on everybody. It's a joy. So he has them on his mind, he has them in his heart, and he has them in his prayers. Look at verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Paul's prayer that they would grow in love, but they would grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ. The word love there is, what do you think? Agape. That you would grow in selfless love, and that you would grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and your discernment. Guys, to know him is to love him. If you grow in knowledge of him, you're going to fall more in love with him. We need to learn of his character and his love for us. And as we do, our love will grow. But he says not just knowledge, but discernment. Discernment is the ability to know God's will, to know right from wrong. Lord, give us discernment to know if we're going to stumble others. Give us discernment to know if this is your will and to obey it. And one of the best ways to know God's will is to know God's word. Amen? He's consistent with his word. So often we say, well, I don't know God's will. Let's spend a little more time in his word. Amen. 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? How is that possible? God wrote it. Amen. I, I, know, I told you I have to get junior high on you in here in a minute. But here's the point. The point is this, that he gave us this book that we might know his will. And we struggle knowing His will because we don't spend enough time in His presence. He's not hiding His will from us. Amen? We're just not taking time to get to know it by spending time with Him. Then in verse 10 He says, That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. Approve the things that are excellent. We ought to approve of the things that are godly and holy. Our, all our actions should be done in sincerity. Talked about that word before, sincere means without wax. In those days, they would take, you know, pots or take, you know, artwork and they would fill it full of wax to make it look whole. And then the person would take the thing home and it would sit in the sunlight and all of a sudden the cracks would show up or the nose of the statue would fall off or whatever. And so, is it sincere? would say, is it without wax? When I look at it, is it really what I'm seeing? Or is it really something else? May we be in front of people. May people see who we really are. Amen? May we live it out in front of them. May it be sincere and without offense, without have outward righteousness, not just outward words. And then he says again there, till the day of Christ. May you approve those godly things, those holy things. May you be a holy and godly people until Jesus comes back. And then he says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. When you abide in God, the result is going to be fruit. If there's no fruit, there's been no abiding. Amen? If you're hanging out with the Lord, it will reflect in the way that you live. As we abide in Him, as we feed on His Word, we will grow, we will bear fruit, and our lives will impact others. Galatians 5.22 tells us what the fruits of the Holy Spirit are. Love and joy and peace and kindness. A life that bears fruit, that lives holy, that is set apart unto God. Paul does not pray for wealth, comfort, or freedom. Temporal things that will fade. But he prays, he doesn't say, I pray for you that you'll win the lottery. I pray for you that you'll get that promotion at work you really wanted. I pray for you that you'll get the new car you've always envied. I, you know what he prays for? He says, I pray that you will grow in love of God, in your knowledge of Him, in discernment, in sincerity in your walk, and that your life will be fruitful. Now that is a spiritual prayer. Amen? Isn't that better than winning the lottery anyway? Some of you are going, I don't I'm, I'm Going to fade. You have to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Amen? Doesn't happen. Money's fading. 
But a relationship with the Lord is forever. So the joy of fellowship, our common love for the Lord, the same spirit, it's reflected in how we greet each other, how we think about each other, how we feel about each other, and how we pray and intercede for each other. Now secondly, we're going to look at the joy in our circumstances. Now how can we have that? Most of us raised our hands. We started late. Just remember that. Don't even look at your watch. So how do we have joy in our circumstances? We raised our hands, we're going through trials, first by learning to trust in the sovereignty of God, then by living in light of eternity, and then by putting our faith in action. Now notice this, living a life that trusts in the sovereignty of God, learning to trust in Him, to see our, oppor- our, our circumstances as an opportunity for the gospel. Look at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He gets a gift from Epaphroditus, He shows up where? Prison. He hands him the gift. And part of what he says is, first, I love you guys. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. You're on my heart. You're in my mind. You're in my thoughts. You're in my prayers. And oh, by the way, when you get back, just let them know, me being in prison, all working out for God. How many of us could say that? I'm in prison. What's up? This isn't right. Somebody violated my rights. You know, I did prison ministry for four and a half years. Very few guilty people in prison. It's amazing. Everybody's working on their appeal. Everybody. Yeah, I got my appeal. I got a new attorney. I'm trying to get, you know, I didn't do it. You know, stop. Paul was innocent. Paul had done nothing wrong. If anybody could complain about prison, Paul. You know what Paul said? God put me here for a reason. It's all good. That's Dave paraphrase, I know. From their position, the people back in Philippi, they're sending this gift, and no doubt they're thinking, this isn't right. What a waste of a godly man. You've got to remember, Paul was the guy who God used to start many of the new, you know, the church plants. This guy was a church planter like no other. Everywhere he went, planting churches, and no doubt the church of Philippi was like, you know, he was here, he planted a church, that poor guy has been beaten, but here, all these things happened to him. This seems like a waste of God's resources that he would be sitting in prison. Think of all the things he could do if he wasn't in prison, and Paul says, it's all part of God's plan, don't worry about it. Didn't say call the congressman, write the appeals board, didn't complain about injustice, didn't talk about his cell, didn't... When they came and said, this isn't right, Paul. You know, you shouldn't be treated. Yeah, you're right, man. I shouldn't be He didn't do that. Can you imagine? The guy brings the gift to Epaphroditus, and he's going there to encourage Paul, and instead Paul ends up encouraging him. Epaphroditus, it's all good. It's okay. I'm here for a reason. Don't worry about it. God's faithful. Lord, help us to understand that wherever we are, we're there for a reason. Now, I want to make this clear. Sin has consequences. You go out and cheat on your wife, or you go out and you know, steal from your company, you getting fired from your job or your marriage falling apart, that's not you know, a part of God's good plan. That's a part of sin's consequences, amen? But as we walk in obedience to God and we find ourselves in the midst of trials, God's put us there for a reason, and praise God that through it, He will be glorified if we let Him. We question, murmur, and complain when we focus on our temporal circumstances when we ought to be focusing on the eternal opportunities. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And as you heard me say before, the word all there means all. Not some, all, amen? All things work together for good. So as circumstances were beyond difficult, But he knew that God was in control. And he says they've actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul was actively looking for what God was doing. Okay, he says, all right, I'm here. Why am I here? Not why am I here, but why am I here? Okay, I'm here, God. Okay, so what is it you want to do? And guess what? Divine appointments started showing up in his cell every six hours. Because guess what happened? He was in chains. And they'd bring in the new guard, clank, clank, and Paul would go, sweet, captive audience, right? You need Jesus. And can you just imagine being chained up to Paul for six hours? How do you think that conversation would go? And at the end of six hours, clank, 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 new divine appointment, right? 
And so Paul's recognizing, okay, God, you got me here, but you know what I've got? I've got a divine appointment right in front of me every six hours. I might not be reaching the whole world, but do you think that those guards are pretty excited because we're going to see that many of them got saved and all the palace guard, which is 10,000 guards, heard the gospel. Hey, you're in prison for a reason, Paul. What if Paul had been in there murmuring? Yeah, I'm serving my God. Look what he does to me, to the guy he's chained to, right? Yeah, it really stinks. Oh, wow, I'm really glad I know you're God, right? That's what would happen. And we do that sometimes. We're murmuring and complaining. And what does that do? It's a reflection on the God that we serve. Remember that. Amen? As Christians, if we're murmuring, it's causing others to mock the God that we serve. Paul instead said, it's all good. I'm here for a reason. And you know what? There may be physical challenges, but the number one reason I'm here is the furtherance of the gospel. And look what God's doing. Verse 13, so that it would become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. He says, look, they know I'm in chains, but they know I'm bound not by chains, but by my love for Christ. What holds me is Christ, not these chains. You know, Jesus was held to the cross, ultimately not by nails, but by his love for us. Amen? Because he could have got, he's the creator of the universe. You think he could have got down from the cross? Anytime he wanted, amen? But he remained there out of love for us. Paul understood, I'm bound here, not by the chains of men, but by the calling of God who put me here for a reason. Second Timothy says, For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's chains were a tool for the kingdom. Your trials are a tool for the kingdom. Amen? Paul's cheering up and encouraging a guy who comes to visit him while he's sitting in prison. Have you ever gone to go minister to somebody who's going through a trial and they end up ministering to you? That ever happened? It doesn't, doesn't it just, whoa, I came here to pray for you and you're... I've been with people on their deathbed praying with them and they're encouraging me. Hey, Pastor Dave, just want to let you know, I'm incur- I've just been laying here praying for you, your ministry. just want you to know God's doing great. I came here to pray for you. you you're dying of cancer. Hey, I'm going to be in heaven soon. So let me just encourage you. Apostle Paul, hey, it's okay. Let me encourage you. Lord, help us to be encouraging people when we're in trials, not walking around with the, you know, like we've been sucking on lemons, playing ain't it awful. Amen? Walking with Jesus, it's tough. It's tough being a Christian, man. You just don't know what it's like serving that God I serve. Guys, it's tough being an unbeliever. It's a blessing to follow Jesus Christ, amen? And then he says, to the guard and all the rest, everybody's heard the gospel because I'm here. Do you know there's some prison guards in heaven because Paul was sent to prison? Do you think any of them were bummed he went to prison? Thank you, Lord, for sending Paul to prison. Because while he was here, I got saved. My life was changed. Notice too, next verse. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know what happens when one person is bold? Other people get bold. Paul said, you know, because I'm in my chains and I'm ministering to people, it has created greater boldness in other people who aren't in chains. They're hearing the word. Do you hear about that prisoner, Paul? He's leading people to Christ left and right. The guy's sitting at home going, wow, I'm not doing anything. I don't even have any chains. God, praise God for boldness in others because it creates boldness in the people around him, amen? And Paul's saying, look, it's created confidence in the people around me. They become confident and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Faith and boldness are contagious. In times of trial and difficulty, we must have, be eternally focused and see our circumstances as an opportunity for the furtherance of the gospel, to trust in the sovereignty of God, to realize there are no coincidences in the kingdom. Paul's time in prison was not a waste. It was a divine appointment. Amen? Your time of difficulty is not a waste, it's a divine appointment. Let's stop looking at it from the physical and start looking at it from the eternal, amen? And then we'll go from being overwhelmed and depressed to being joyful. Then he says in verse 15, 
Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. There were two different groups that became more bold when they heard about Paul's preaching in prison. One group really didn't like Paul. They were envious of Paul, and they thought if they became more vocal, that maybe Paul would get a few more beatings. Or maybe Paul would be silenced. Or maybe Paul would even be put to death. And they were going out with the wrong motivation, trying to you know, cause him greater harm. But others, because of they, heard of it, they heard it, they too were encouraged. And they went out, not out of selfish ambition and a desire to promote themselves like some others, but instead, they went out encouraged. Say, you know what, if Paul can do it in prison, the Lord help me to do it right where I am. But notice that Paul, his response to this is, some have gone out thinking to do me harm, some have gone out because they're excited about what God's doing and they want to be a part of it. And then he says this in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in presence or in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, and yes, will rejoice. Here's what he says. I don't care if they're doing it to bring me harm. I don't care if they're doing it because, you know, they're excited. I'm just glad they're doing it. They're preaching the gospel. Praise God. No matter what reason. And you know what? If it brings me a few more beatings to have them all preaching the gospel, then bring the beatings. You think Paul's in heaven murmuring about the beatings? Paul's in heaven rejoicing over all the fruit that came out of his life. Amen? And he was rewarded for it. That's the difference between a physical perspective and an eternal one. Paul had no concern for who got the credit, just that Christ was preached, that the word of God was spreading. Whatever their motivation, Paul was encouraged. If Paul's imprisonment couldn't hinder the gospel, Neither could the wrong motives of some. So, joy in our circumstances. By learning to trust in the sovereignty of God. Seeing your circumstances as an opportunity to lead others to Christ. Number two, by living in light of eternity. Look at verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I know this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul knew that he was going to be delivered from prison one way or another. And he says, your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Paul's needs would be met by the Holy Spirit in response to the prayers of the people. Now, if you just stop there, you would say he is confidently saying, I'm going to be getting out of here. I'm confident that God's going to get me out of here. Well, he is confident that God's going to get him out of here, but notice how he says it might happen. Look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, look, your prayers for me, I'm going to be bold for Christ. I know he's going to deliver me. I know in the end it's going to bring him glory, whether he gets me out of here or I die here. Boy, now that's being a fanatic. Amen? You know, I'm so in love with God, if I die for him, it's okay. It's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to be sitting in prison facing the very real possibility that any moment you could be brought before Nero and have your head lopped off and to be saying this. I might have written a letter back here. Paphroditus, I got a letter for you to take back to them. Let me give it to you. Help! Get me out of here, right? Paul's like, look, I appreciate your prayers. God's going to deliver me because of them. And you know what? Don't pray for my deliverance, but pray for my boldness. Do you notice that? Pray that, not that I would get out, but pray that I would be bold while I'm here. And God's going to get me out of here one way or another. He's either going to take me home, or he's going to bring me back to you. But you know what? God's in control. Paul had a one-track mind. He was completely consumed with Christ. He wanted Christ to be magnified in his body, and if it would be more magnified through his death than his life, then his heart was bring it on. He had an eternal perspective. He saw every divine appointment in light of eternity, and he had absolutely no fear of death, and it was proven back in Lystra. You remember that? They took him outside of the city. Why? Because he was preaching the gospel. They picked up big rocks and threw them at him until, my opinion, he died. 
They certainly thought he was dead. You don't stop stoning people till they're dead. He's laying there in a pile of rocks. I believe it's when Paul talks about, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. I believe he went up and got a glimpse of heaven. He came back down, God resurrected him from the dead. What did he do? He went right back into the city and started witnessing to the same people who had just thrown rocks at him until he died. That's a guy with no fear of death, amen? But if you get a glimpse of heaven, I'm thinking it might change your perspective about death, amen? Paul's like, hey, I've been, throw rocks at me. You can't threaten me with heaven, amen? The worst thing you can do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. You throw rocks at me and I die, I'll go to, that's good. Far better than being down here. No fear of death. You couldn't threaten him with heaven. You know, as Christians, we ought to have a different view of death. Amen? It's graduation day. You've heard me say it before. It's moving day to a much better neighborhood. Why do we, res- you know, we, we oh, it's because of our flesh. We get fearful. Paul lived his life not to preserve and promise himself, to preserve and promote himself, but to glorify Christ. And if Jesus should should decide that Paul could best glorify him by laying down his life, for Paul that was good. And here's my life verse, Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Boy, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And here's what this means. To live is Christ. That means my life is Christ. Everything about my life is Christ. My life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Anything you want to know about my life, look at Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean he's first on the list. It means he's first, he's 10th, he's 50th, he's 100th, he's 1,000th, and he's every number in between. He's not tops on the list, he is the list. Amen? And Paul said, hey, for me to live is Christ and to die, better. Amen? For me to die is gain. Why? Because here I know him and I have a relationship with him, but when I die, it's going to be even closer. And because that's my ultimate desire, it's far better. Death has no sting for the believer. If you're here this morning, for you to live is what? What is it that you wake up in the morning thinking about? What is the passion of your life? What is the thing that consumes you? Is it your career? Is it your business? Is it your stock portfolio? I hope not or you're in trouble. Is it, is it you know, your health? Is it you know, your body? Is it your looks? Is it your relationships? Is it your ministry? Is it your children? We're to love our children. We're to do a good job at work. We're to be in serving God in ministry. But all of that out of flow out of our first love, Him. Amen? We need to love God more than we love ministry. Love God more than we love our children. Love God more than we love our spouse. But you know what? If we love God, we're going to love our spouse. We're going to love our children. We're going to serve Him. We're going to be faithful. Paul had one love above all, Jesus Christ. And because of that, it was reflected in everything he did. For many, for me to love is money and to die is to lose it all. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because he knew to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Verse 22, but if I live on the flesh, this will, be, will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to part and to be with Christ, which is far better, underline that, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Here's what he says, heaven's better. Aren't you glad? Nobody's going to get to heaven and be disappointed. Nobody. We're not going to get through. I, I thought it'd be bigger. Is that the only house I got? That's not all I got. Then nobody's doing that. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to go, if I had known, Lord, wow, this is incredible. Lord, I pray that we'd have an eternal perspective now. You've heard that term, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I've never met a person like that. Here's what I mean. People so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. Amen? So focused on the world, they forget about heaven. I've had people say to me, I don't want to go to heaven right now. I want to get that promotion at work first. I don't want to go to heaven right now. I'd still like to be married first. Right? Still, guys, marriage is good. The promotion is fine. But heaven's better. That is stupid. 
It really is. I don't want to go to heaven yet. You know, can you imagine? I've, I've tried to think of analogy, analogies that would work and nothing comes close. It's like kids saying, I want to go to Disneyland yet because I'm watching a cartoon. I mean, stupid. It's better. Amen? Heaven's better. Paul's saying heaven's better. Living a life that will impact eternity, that's Paul's heart. As Christians, we don't seek death, but we live in, there in, in light of it every single day. Nobody dies too young. Nobody. He died so young. He died right on time. God wasn't fooled by it. Amen? God knows exactly what he's doing. I feel sorry for him. He was only 30 and he went to be with the Lord. I, had, I did a funeral and the guy told, people were telling me I feel sorry. I said, I don't feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for me because I miss him, but I don't feel sorry. Are you kidding? He's in heaven. How can I feel sorry? Yeah, poor guy. He's hanging out with Jesus today. I feel bad for him. Walking on streets of gold. No pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no death. Just worshiping with all the angels in heaven. Poor guy. Missing on the potluck today or whatever, right? <laughs> Guys, heaven is so much better. Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, it's better. It's way better. But he said at the same time, you know what? If God needs me here, I'm ready to stay. Heaven's better. But if God's not through with me, my family needs me, then I'll stay. Guys, we're indestructible until God's through with us. Amen? Paul wasn't going to go to heaven until God was done. And God was still going to do a work in him. We're almost done. Verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul was confident that he would remain with them a while longer, and he would. Nero would release him this time. Paul did return to them again because God wasn't through with him. But a few years later, Paul was recaptured and Nero had him beheaded. It's interesting that Nero, everybody knows he went crazy, but some have said there's no evidence of him being a crazy man until after he had met Paul. I have an idea he was convicted. I have an idea that the truth of the gospel drove him to a place where he didn't want to lay down his life. He didn't want to surrender, so he went nuts. Guys, if you're in a place of power and your focus is on yourself and someone tells you you need to bow to Christ, you need to give your life to Him, you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, if you resist that, don't be surprised what the outcome might be. And that's exactly what happened to Nero. He became like a madman, out of control, one of the greatest persecutors of Christians of all time. Finally, joy in our circumstances by learning to trust in the sovereignty of God, by living in the light of eternity, and by putting our faith in action. True faith, true belief is reflected in behavior. It's not good enough to believe in our heads because if we believe in our heads, really, it'll be seen in our actions. Faith, not faith plus works, or faith or works, it's faith that works, Amen. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Have your behavior, your conduct, live in a way that lets people know you're a citizen of heaven. Someone said yesterday, I like it, I think Matt Valencia said it. He said, you know what guys, we're just here on a working visa. This isn't our home, Amen. We're just traveling through here. We're on a working visa. Okay, we're going to let... Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you 65, 80, whatever, 90, whatever the number is. Here's how, 25, maybe. Here's how many years you got. Go, do, go to work. You have a working visa that's expiring in three more years. Be about my business. Amen? And, and that's conduct yourself as a citizen of heaven. And then he says, whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. Paul wanting them to know that they were accountable to him. Because accountability is a good thing. Guys, whether other people recognize it or not, God is watching. And God knows what we are doing with the gift he has given us, the gift of eternal life, the spiritual gifts. May we not be that you know, unwise steward in the parable of the talents. God gives, you know, his master gives him talents and he goes and just buries it in the sand. And then when his master returns, he just gives him back what he gave him. And you know what? He cast him into prison. 
Why? Because I, I didn't give you a gift to bury it. I gave you a gift to use it. And guys, he's given us gifts. May we not bury it so that when he returns, all we do is give him back what he's given us. But I pray we'd give him back the gifts with interest. Amen? That we would take what he's given us, use them for his glory so that they might have grown. Grown. It says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for faith in the gospel. Working together as a team. The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. As Christians, we should be of one spirit, one mind, one faith. Satan seeks to divide us. God's desire is to unite us. We ought to be working together. We are not competing with each other. We are working together. Amen? We're not competing with the church down the street. We're working together. We have one common goal. Doesn't matter which lifeboat they get in as long as they get to shore. Amen? God be glorified. Last two verses. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Christians need not be terrified. We need not be afraid of our enemy. The word terrified there in Greek speaks of a term of a stampede of horses running over the top of somebody. It says you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be in that place of terror. Here it comes, a stampede's going to run over me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't have anything to be afraid of. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But notice, the fact that the enemy attacks us is proof that God is going to use us. It's a proof of perdition. It's a proof of destruction. Who is the son of perdition in the Bible? It's used twice, of Judas and the Antichrist. And what do they want to do? They want to make you afraid. If they can't isolate you, if they can't overwhelm you, they want you just to be fearful so you'll do nothing. I'm afraid to share my faith. I can't. He's not in here, so I'll share. We had a young man from our church get up last night. Young man, I don't know, 14 years old, He got up and he said, you know what? I need more boldness to share my faith with my friends. And I thought, you know what? And Pastor Tim said, said, you know what? That should be the prayer for pretty much everybody in the room. Amen? We don't do it because we're afraid. And the enemy wants us to be afraid. There's nothing the world can do to you unless God allows it. Amen? And we have nothing to be afraid of. We're not going to get to heaven and wish we had dialed it down. Amen? We're not going to get to heaven and say, we should have reeled in a little bit. We should have been so outspoken about our faith. Let's just, I just need to dial it down. I need to ratchet it back a little bit in my walk with God. I've got other things I've got to do. I can't be so radical for Him. You know what? It's time to get rid of lukewarm, wannabe Christianity and be sold out for Christ 24-7. Amen? He died on the cross for us. How can we live halfway for Him? A lack of fear in the midst of it is proof of salvation. And then he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for... What? Suffer? I, I underlined the other verses. Can I wipe that one out? Let me just cry. I don't, we don't like suffer. But guess what, guys? We join the fellowship of His sufferings. Amen? He suffered for us. His goal for our life, His plan for our life, is not our comfort, but His glory. And if His glory comes through our suffering, then we need to be ready to suffer for Him. Amen? We don't suffer to prove our love for Him, but we may suffer in serving Him. And I think of the guys in GFA in India. Every time I go there, they'll be talking to me at at a table, and I saw a big scar on this guy's neck. Bro, what is that? Oh, you know, you know what it's like when they, you know, you go out and you're sharing tracks and they get you on the ground, they start beating you. Well, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, well, you're a pastor. You know what it's like. Um, no. I get bad emails sometimes. <laughs> People don't like me. I had a guy do a blog, the Hate Pastor Dave blog one time. But these guys get held on the ground. They suffer for the kingdom of God. And you know what? I have found those guys who suffer for God have the greatest love passion for him they're sold out and when i leave i say lord help me be more like them help me not be so caught up in my comfort last verse having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me 
You're going to have the same problem in the world. If you stand up like Paul, you want to be like Paul, get ready to deal with the consequences Paul dealt with. People say, I want a ministry like Paul. I want a ministry like Peter. I want a ministry, you know, like any of the apostles or John. I want a ministry like them. Then get ready to face the opposition they faced. Some of you will say, well, I've never faced persecution. Guess what? You need to speak up more for Jesus then. Amen? It's easy to fly under the radar if you're doing nothing for the kingdom of God. But if you stand up boldly for him and welcome to Santa Cruz, if you stand up boldly for him here, you're going to face opposition. But that's okay because our God's greater. Amen? So in closing, the joy of fellowship. How, it should be seen in how we greet each other, how we think about each other, how we feel about each other, how we pray and intercede for each other. Then the joy in our circumstances. How do we have that? By learning to trust in the sovereignty of God, by living in light of eternity, and then by putting our faith into action. Lord, help us not to have this be another Bible study where we just take it all in. But Lord, may we leave here and take what God has put on our hearts and put it into action. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. and We are so blessed to be your sons and daughters adopted into your family. And Lord, I pray that we would have a supernatural love for you first and foremost, but then a supernatural love for each other. Lord, I pray that when we come here on Sunday, Lord, we'd be reaching out and ministering to each other. Lord, I pray there'd be no competition. There'd be no uh, bitterness, no anger, no anxiety. But Lord, instead, we would just come in here with a heart to walk with you, to serve you, to know you better. Lord, I pray there'd be joy in our fellowship, but Lord, also joy in our circumstances. Lord, you know the details of what every person here is going through. Most of the hands went up when asked who is going through a tough time right now. Lord, you know the details, but I pray you give us a whole new perspective on our trials. Lord, instead of being murmuring and complaining and being overwhelmed, may we instead be encouraged and strengthened. May we not say why, but Lord, what do you want to do through this? How can you use me? May we be like Paul, not murmuring about our chains, but seeing it as a divine appointment and an opportunity to point others to you. So Lord, we come humbly before you. We lay our lives at your feet. Lord, may we live in light of eternity. May you paint, put a sense of urgency in every heart that is here that one day soon we're going to be before you. These divine appointments, they're coming this week. May we not miss them. Give us boldness. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.